Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Welcome back to hour number two of today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you. And whether you're tuning in on the AM side at 1490, on the FM side at 104.9, if you've chosen to listen via the live stream, which can be found on ESPNTucson.com, or if you're listening via podcast somewhere in the future uh, that you can download from all of the uh, different sites where you get your podcast from, I do appreciate you tuning in to the Jeff Dean Show. We try to keep it uh, as locally focused as possible for the, uh, for the most part, as best we can here as Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. And, of course, we're live every weekday here from 7 to 9, bringing you the best in uh, sports news, entertainment, information, and opinions. And I'll be sharing plenty of those opinions with you right now, as we do every Monday at the top of the 8 o'clock hour, the Dean's List and the Dunce List, my heroes and zeros from the weekend that was in sports. And I begin with the Dean's List. We're going to start with the uh, with the goodies, as we always do. And leading off the Dean's list, I want to mention a guy whom I was really high on uh, in the in the offseason, in the NFL offseason, prior to the NFL draft, a guy who was somewhat forgotten because he opted not to play college football in the 2020 season. He took the, the COVID opt-out and decided not to play, knew that he was going to be uh, a top 10 or so pick in the NFL draft, so he decided to start preparing for the NFL draft. The Dallas Cowboys traded with the Philadelphia Eagles to move from 10 to 12 and were able to find linebacker from Penn State, Micah Parsons, and they have not looked back since. He is the obvious reason for the Cowboys' drastic turnaround on defense. I mean, people can say, oh, it's uh, Trayvon Diggs or it's Dan Quinn, the new D.C. No, 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 (laughs) no. No. It's Micah Parsons. It's obvious when you watch the Cowboys play that he's the most dominant player on the defensive side of the ball for them. He might be the most dominant player on the field in any given situation. He certainly was yesterday against the Washington football team. You can already just hand him the defensive rookie of the year trophy. He's he's won that head and shoulders above anyone else, and there's some really damn good rookies on the defensive side of the ball this year in the NFL. It's over. Four, four weeks to go in the season, it's over. Hand him the award. But now he's starting to make a case – for the Defensive Player of the Year award, the Defensive MVP of the NFL. He had two more sacks yesterday, bringing his season total to 12. He's now just two sacks behind the NFL rookie record of 14, which has been held by Javon Kurse for quite some time. He's got 75 tackles on the season, which doesn't even put him in the top 50 in tackles. But rookies don't often put up huge numbers unless your name is Patrick Willis, who has the NFL record in uh, rookie tackles, a record, in my opinion, that will never, ever, ever be broken. You can talk about Joe DiMaggio's hit streak, and you can talk about all kinds of other records that will never be broken. Patrick Willis, 174 tackles in his rookie season in 2007, is like 40 more than any player has ever had in their rookies. It's ridiculous. That, that record will never be broken. Nobody's coming close to it. Uh, so don't, don't count on Micah Parsons breaking that particular record. But he's also forced three fumbles this year. He's had two pass deflections, and he's got 17 TFLs, tackles for loss, second only to San Francisco's Nick Bosa, who has 18 on the season. He's the best defensive player in the NFC East. 
He's probably one of the top three defensive players in the NFC, and he's certainly making a case for the defensive MVP award and the turnaround that that Cowboys team has experienced this year on that side of the ball. Micah Parsons, you can play him anywhere. He's a Swiss Army knife. They brought him in as a linebacker, obviously. They love his ability at linebacker, but he's so quick, and his he plays with such great leverage. He had a, a sack yesterday where – the offensive lineman didn't even get a chance to put his punch out on him. I mean, just, you know, you, you want to deliver the first punch. As an offensive lineman, you want to deliver that first. You want to get your arms out. You want to get your hands on him. You want to deliver that first punch. And you want that first punch to be violent and effective. The dude, the left tackle, didn't even get his punch out before Micah Parsons was by him. Like, it was that quick. He has become a tremendously good edge rusher in, in the way that Dan Quinn has been using him in that defense. So, Micah Parsons absolutely leading off the Dean's list today. Number two on the list, I'm going to do a little a combo duo here of uh, of Wildcat guards, and I've got Kirk Creesa and Madison Connor on my Dean's list today because of their second-half performances against teams where they had to, to you know, gut both, look, both women's and men's teams had to really gut one out over the weekend. Now, the women's final, 77-60, to 60, doesn't show it like that, but New Mexico was game. That game was really, really close for a long time. Madison Connor coming off the bench to play 20 minutes, drop five three-pointers, as I mentioned previously, was a huge boost for her team and uh, led the Wildcats on to victory there. And then I talked a lot about what Kirk Creesa did in the second half for the Arizona Wildcat men's team in Champaign, beating the Illini by a score of 83-79. to His work in scoring 17 points while committing only two turnovers in the second half of that game, hitting big shot after big shot after big shot. All of his shots, it seemed, ended an Illinois run, and then the next shot that he took gave either Arizona the lead or tied the game in some, in some way. Just really willed Arizona to victory, and uh, that's why I'm putting Kirk Creesa and Madison Connor a little combo guard action on the Dean's list today for the uh, for the Wildcat guards. They're very, very impressive with their second halves that they had, and uh, really the, the, the big reason why both of those teams are still undefeated today. Now, an honorable mention before I get to number three, uh, because number three was just a beautiful moment. Uh, an honorable mention here goes to, to my number three on the uh, on the Dean's list. Saturday night, we saw the near impossible happen in the world of UFC. Juliana Pena, with her just unbelievable upset over Amanda Nunez. I mean, I'll just call it like it is. Nobody, nobody had Juliana Pena winning that fight except for Juliana Pena and her uh, you know, and her camp themselves at UFC 269. Amanda Nunez has dominated that division, and I, it, look, they haven't even the fights haven't been close. She's a better, she's a superior puncher to every to every fighter she's faced. She's superior on the ground to every fighter she's faced. She's tougher, she's stronger, she's quicker than everyone she has faced. And in the first round of the of the fight against Juliana Pena, she was she was dominant. I mean, uh, Nunez won the first round. Um, she was, you know, she was ahead after, of course, uh, you know, dominating, uh, dominating the, the first round. And then really, uh, you know, and it was on the ground really that she dominated her, but it was just like in, in round number two, 
Juliana Pena said, I'm not dealing with this anymore, and just started letting her hands fly. I mean, it was a it was fists of fury going on in that uh, in that round. And uh, Nunez would, you know, sh- she was she was stunned a little bit. She was trying to fight back, but every time she landed a punch, Pena Juliana Pena would just walk right through the thing, which we've never seen before. Like I've never seen anybody walk through Amanda Nunez's punches like that. Uh, then Pena takes Nunez to the mat and put her in the rear naked chokehold, and he shocking the world. The fight was over. Put her in the rear naked. That was it. Tap out. Game over. And after the uh, right after the fight, she jumped up and she said she yells, I'm not surprised, mother. And she yelled it out into the microphone, just like Nate Diaz did after he beat Connor uh, in uh, I don't know what UFC it was. But back in, you know, several years ago when uh, when Nate Diaz beat Connor, uh, shockingly, look, this is one of the biggest upsets in in UFC history, certainly. I don't know where it ranks in fight history altogether, but certainly in UFC history, it's right. I mean, it's it's got to be one of the tops, right? Like more so than when Holly Holm beat Ronda Rousey, more so than when uh, Matt Serra beat Georges St. Pierre, more so than when Nate Diaz beat Connor. I mean, really, this is this has got to be the biggest upset in UFC history. Congratulations to Juliana Pena and her huge upset in that fight. Finally, on the Dean's list. A beautiful tribute to Demarius Thomas by the Denver Broncos and several members of the uh, of, of Broncos of past. Uh, there was a beautiful moment at the beginning of the game when the Broncos offense lined up for their first play with 10 men on the field. They left the, uh, the outside uh, wide receiver position open. They were obviously flagged um, for it but because uh, they didn't have enough men in the backfield, but that's okay. Uh, that was a beautiful tribute to essentially Demarius Thomas, the missing man on offense there. And again, Demarius Thomas, you know, not a member, but uh, nonetheless, a, a really nice tribute there. Um, they all the video boards displayed 88 across the stadium. There was a, uh, an, a circled 88 painted just off the field um, when Denver had gotten a, a turnover. I can't remember who the player was, but he went over and, and instead of running into the end zone to pose for pictures of a get, he ran to the to the eighty eight that was painted just off the field there and placed the ball between the two eights as a as a little tribute there to uh to Demarius Thomas. Also the Manning family, they showed up um and and uh and they showed up wearing their eighty eight jerseys. Uh looking you know, it, it was just a, a really, really nice daily tribute there in Denver. Look, I, I've been to Denver several times. Um, I went to a game there. The, the Broncos were playing the Chiefs, and I, I will always say this about Denver fans. Denver sports fans, my opinion, are maybe the best in the country. I have had nothing but tremendously positive interactions with Denver fans in their own stadium in volatile situations. Like I'm not a Chiefs fan. I was, just, I was in Denver for the weekend uh, covering a football game. And decided I was like, hey, I'm going to see if I can get tickets for the Broncos game. Let's let's check it out. I was able to get some tickets and uh, and go to the game. Denver fans are knowledgeable. They're passionate. They're also very very courteous to opposing fans or just anybody really. Um, I, I am and, and I've been to uh, Colorado Avalanche games. I went to a Nuggets game once where the fans were you know were great. Uh, and you know, look, there's always a few bad apples like we saw Nuggets and, and Suns in the playoffs last year, but and there's always some bad apples. But, but I would say for the most part, Denver fans have been very, very you know, impressive to me, 
and, uh, and and the tribute that they had to Demarius Thomas yesterday was was beautiful. And uh, of course, Demarius Thomas gone too soon at the age of 33. They fear that he had uh, he passed away from the causes of a uh, from a, uh, a seizure that he may have had in his home. All right. Now on to the dunce list. It's a pretty short dunce list. I don't have a whole, like, to me, there, there was plenty of opportunity to take shots at people. I'm just not going to. Specifically, uh, you know, certain people, you don't want to kick them when they're down too much. But I will take great pleasure in kicking the Jacksonville Jaguars while they're down. Look, they've had a rough season. We know that. They're one of the worst teams in the NFL. And they do fight. They do have that big win over the Buffalo Bills, miraculously, that 9-6 football game that uh, everybody was just like, what in the world is going on here? They've had a rough season. They had a tenuous week 14 of rumors and uh, quote-unquote leaks that were happening from inside the building that Urban Meyer threatened everyone with their job, uh, essentially, if they were leaking information from inside the, uh, the Jaguars' compound. And then the team just kind of forgot to get off the team bus for the game in Tennessee yesterday. As predicted, it was my NFL lock of the week. Tennessee was favored by 8.5. You could have favored Tennessee by 18.5. I still would have taken it. The Titans win that game 20 to nothing without even trying. Um, the Jacksonville Jaguars just looked completely list, listless and disinterested in being on that football field yesterday. A really, really bad look for that program and an even worse look for their head coach, Urban Meyer, who uh, is – look, the rumors started over the weekend with the Bears possibly getting into new ownership – and getting rid of Ryan Pace as a general manager, and then they would fire, uh, then they would, of course, fire Matt Nagy and bring in Ryan Day, current head coach at Ohio State, to come in and coach the Chicago Bears, which would then leave Ohio State job open again for Urban Meyer to go and take, which I, I can almost guarantee that he would absolutely take that job. Um, Urban is not having a good time in the NFL. If he is berating his coaches, it's not being met with very positive uh, uh, bounce back as it appears that somebody in the program, somebody in, in the in the compound there is leaking these types of stories and information about his mistreatment of his coaches. Look, I don't care if coaches mistreat uh, other coaches. The, the best coaches, some of the best coaches in football have been coaches that are extremely hard on their assistants. Uh, Nick Saban is notoriously difficult on his assistants. One of the absolute like assistant coaches hated playing for Bill Parcells or they hated working with him just because he was so hard on his assistant coaches, loved his players, would absolutely love his players to death and was just absurdly difficult on his assistant coaches. And guess who grew up in that environment? Bill Belichick. Guess who's also really difficult on his assistant coaches? Bill Belichick. Uh, there's also a, a very, very common uh, thread amongst those three particular coaches I just cited, and I could keep, I could continue on and on. Uh, they've all won multiple, multiple national championships, world championships, whatever have you. So Urban Meyer being difficult on his coaches and not having the pedigree may be a problem for those assistant coaches. Uh, number two on the list, look, there was a really exciting race on the, uh, on the, the television last night as the Formula One championship in Abu Dhabi was going to take place. A, it's been a season-long arm wrestling match between seven-time champion Lewis Hamilton, who's dominated the sport for the entire decade, and Max Verstappen, the, uh, the Dutch driver for uh, Red Bull Racing, who has had just a tremendous season. And, and we knew that if you follow F1, we, 
we knew that Verstappen was going to be a contender at some point in time in his life. He got himself a good uh, good uh, crew. Uh, they've got the Honda Motors in there. I mean, it, it's all it's all working out pretty well for him. It's been a great season of back and forth. And in the race last week, Max Verstappen was able to push uh, essentially, and it, it was a, it was a rough one. He he flat out pushed Lewis Hamilton off the course. And F1 instead of handing out penalties, they said, we want you to self-impose a penalty on yourselves. So Red Bull Racing did. Christian Horner was, you know, passed out a little slap on the wrist for his team, and they were able to move on into the race this weekend. Then in a in a race that Lewis Hamilton was dominating, he had pretty much a five- to six-second lead on Verstappen, who had like a 30-second lead on his teammate throughout the race. It was, it was a two-horse race, and one horse was way ahead and just cruising to victory in that race. Until with about 10 laps to go, uh, one of the – uh, you know, one of the cars on the in the back uh, of the uh, of the line spins out, wrecks. They have to bring out the uh, the safety vehicle. Now, normally in F one, you would continue with those intervals. Okay, everybody gets in those intervals that they were when the when the race stopped, and they would they would continue on. Well, that wasn't good enough for F one because they uh, didn't like the fact that there was only going to be one lap in the race, and Lewis Hamilton was going to have a six second head start on Max Verstappen. So instead, they just decided to make up a new rule in the middle of the race, deciding to NASCAR it up, and said, "Nope, uh, we're going to uh, we're going to line everybody up nose to nose here for the for the uh, for the final lap of this race." Well, Lewis Hamilton and his team in Mercedes was like, "Well, we didn't account for this. If we had known this was going to happen, we would have brought Hamilton in for tires. Max Verstappen had already gone in for tires, so he had fresh tires." So you knew what was going to happen in the final lap of that race, and it did. Max Verstappen blew Lewis Hamilton's doors off because he had fresh tires in a completely new and just made-up rule by the F1 officials, by FIA. When asked about it afterwards, the FIA uh, president basically said, fans want to see racing. That's what we gave them. Just making up rules in the middle of the championship race. So now, instead of celebrating Max Verstappen and his championship, we've got this tainted championship in F1. Uh, Mercedes is taking their appeal to the court of appeals over this particular decision, uh, and the uh, and Toto Wolff, who's the uh, like the president over over Mercedes uh, in Formula One, basically called out F1 yesterday and said, uh, in, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here; I don't have the, the quote in front of me. Uh, basically saying that F1 did this so they could continue to make money off of the Netflix series that has gotten so popular, <laughs> The Drive to Survive. Uh, make sure they get ju- juicy storylines is what he said for the Netflix show. I-, I-, I mean, F1 just took a phenomenal season-long race in Formula One and just completely stripped it of any and all dignity in their championship last night, and it was extremely disappointing i was excited to watch it and it was a great race up until the point where they just said we're going to throw out the rule book and do whatever the hell we want just absolutely ridiculous finally uh real quick i mentioned this uh on friday chase claypool ending up on the dunce list i i just can't get over just how idiotic of a of a move it was for him in the closing seconds of that game to pose for a first down uh you know showboat that he had done after making a catch that cost his team a good solid six to eight seconds of time when they could have used that time to score 
the game-winning touchdown for that game. Now, looking ahead, now, of course, hindsight being 2020, with the Bengals losing and the Ravens losing, a 7-5-1 Pittsburgh Steelers would be in sole possession of the AFC North today if Chase Clayton, and I'm not saying that it's just a given that they would have scored a touchdown, but you give Ben Roethlisberger two more shots inside the 15-yard line, essentially, at scoring a game winner when they just dropped the, the game winner on the previous play, I'm going to give I'm going to give the Steelers a, ch- a good chance in that one to cash that in. Chase Claypool winding up on the dunce list as uh, it, look that was one of the dumbest things I've seen in a long time. Uh, one of the most ridiculous, self-centered things that I've seen in a long time. It costs his team, and uh, again, at seven five and one, if they win that game, seven five and one, uh, they are in sole possession of the uh, of the of the division, and who knows how things shake out the rest of the year. All right, so there you go, the Dean's List and the Dunce List for the weekend that was. Feel free to uh, comment. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at UAZ Voice. Had a lot of great responses this week, uh, this weekend, to some of the things going on in sports. Looking forward to uh, getting more responses from you guys as the weeks to come. As we get closer, (coughs) pardon me as I choke on something, as we get closer to the end of the NFL regular season, the league has given us some big divisional matchups, and uh, it's just like this Thursday night when the Chiefs take on the Chargers. And FanDuel Sportsbook is about to make it even bigger because we're going to give uh, customers 30-to-1 odds on either team to win, which means you can place a $5 bet and win $150 on whichever team you like to win that game. The Chiefs are looking for revenge after losing to the Chargers back in September. We saw them dominate the Raiders yesterday. And the Chargers are hitting their stride right now as well. So right now I'm looking at an SGP of a Chiefs money line. Patrick Mahomes, two or more touchdowns, and an Austin Eckler anytime touchdown. But that that may change before Thursday comes around. And if you want to make sports betting simple, check out FanDuel Sportsbook today because offers like this one are just one of the many reasons why I only bet the NFL on FanDuel. Safe and secure transactions. The app is easy to use. And when you win, you get paid out in just a couple of hours. And if you're already a, sport, a sportsbook, a FanDuel Sportsbook user, awesome. We know that we're hooking you up with that Refer-A-Friend program, the $50 for you, $50 for your friend, just for referring a friend to FanDuel Sportsbook. Just sign up with promo code DEAN, D-E-A-N, before this Thursday night's matchup, and you could win $150 on a $5 bet. But use my promo code DEAN to get that exclusive promo on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. 21 or over and present in Arizona. New users only. $10 first deposit is required. Must wager in designated offer market. Max bonus $150. Restrictions do apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you think you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342. More in from the NFL right here on the Jeff Dean Show next on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here on ESPN Tucson, 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Not a good weekend for me in my picks. I did a Friday Five, the NFL version. It, you know, normally I do college games because that's what I like better. Uh, but because no college games, had to pick some NFL games, and now we see why I don't do it that often. Uh, my Friday Five, I went one and four. Although God, we were close. There was some. There was some ridiculously close games in there. Uh, the Browns. I had the Browns minus two and a half. They won by two. 
So I lose that one literally by half a point. I had Washington plus six and a half in their game against Dallas. They lost by seven on a blocked PAT. That was a half a point difference. (laughs) I had the Bengals plus two and a half. They lost by three in overtime to the 49ers. I lose by a half a point there. And uh, I had the Bills plus three, and they lose by six. Obviously, that, you know, a little bit more than a half a point, but still it wasn't looking good at halftime. But they fought back in uh, in the second half, go force it to overtime, and I'm like, okay, I got this. Even if Tampa wins, they're going to kick a field goal to win the game. That'll be it. I can push, and I'm happy. Nope. <laughs> Buffalo forgets to cover uh, Rashad Perriman, who goes, whatever, what, 58 yards for the for the winning touchdown in that game. The game I did win, I had the Chiefs minus 10. They ex- absolutely just blew the Raiders out of the water. Uh, they win that game 48-9, to and the Chiefs look fantastic in that, uh, in that game yesterday and uh, taking over the, uh, the, AFC, uh, the AFC West, of course, and uh, submitting themselves to the, uh, the number two seed right now just behind the Patriots. That'll be an interesting race for those two, uh, those two teams, trying to get that number one seed in the AFC. And then my lock of the week, as we talked about, uh, I had the Tennessee Titans minus 8.5. It could have been minus 14.5. It could have been minus 18.5 for all that matters. And I still would have taken the Tennessee Titans to win that uh, game and, uh, and beat the spread. Last, uh, on, Saturday, uh, on Sunday, they beat, the, uh, they beat the Jaguars 20 to nothing. The game wasn't even that close. That moves my uh, NFL lock of the week to 8-3 and three against the spread this season. So my lock of the week has been really, really good. I lost three games in the NFL yesterday by a half a point, though, <sighs> which brings my Friday five in on the on the season. I'm 27 and 33 against the spread this season in my Friday five, which is not great. <sighs> We're gonna bounce back this week, though. I got I'm gonna have some good games for us to pick this this weekend. And again, if you were someone who decided to go opposite of my picks. Congratulations in uh, cashing that ticket. Nicely done. Okay, we're going to talk about some individual performances and games that happened in the NFL over the weekend because there were some good ones. And a big win for the uh, for the San Francisco 49ers going into Cincinnati. They're up 20-6. to Cincinnati battles back with Joe Burrow and the, and the injured finger. And, and then, and then uh, the, the, you know, the, the overtime um, goes to, you know, the, the Bengals get the three-point, they kick the field goal, all they got to do is get a stop, and they just simply could not stop George Kittle in that game, and the 49ers get the touchdown on a remarkable, remarkable play by Brandon Ayuk, um, and uh, they, get the, they get the victory in Cincinnati. Big win for the 49ers there to keep their playoff hopes alive, and we have some other big games to discuss coming up after the break as well. 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson presents the Taco Bell New Year's Eve Downtown Bowl Bash immediately following the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl. It's going to be taking place at Tucson Times Square right there. You can enter the uh, the party uh, right there at the corner of Tool and Congress is where they're going to be set up. You can uh, enter. The, the party begins at 6 p.m. It's free admission. There's going to be live music from 80s and Gentlemen and the Plain White Tees. Hey there, Delilah. Uh, there's going to be food trucks, a beer garden, and a whole lot more. Plus, it's fun for the whole family. There's plenty of uh, things for the kiddos to uh, uh, take uh, take part in and uh, have some fun ringing in 2022 at midnight with the famous taco drop and a fireworks display live from the roof of the Hotel Congress. That is the Arizona Bull Bash 
on uh, New Year's Eve night right there downtown Tucson. Stay tuned. More NFL next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Well, last night on Sunday Night Football on NBC, it was Aaron Rodgers once again proving that he owns the Chicago Bears. I own you! From earlier in the season, of course, when they uh, went into uh, went into Chicago and won that game. Aaron Rodgers last night, nothing short of, uh, barely short of perfect, to be honest with you. 29 of 37, 341 yards passing, four touchdowns, no interceptions, a near-perfect passer rating in the game. Did get sacked three times, no big deal there. Uh, he said after the game that his toe has gotten even worse, but Sure didn't seem like it last night. He was hooking up with everybody. Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, uh, uh, Mercedes Lewis caught four passes in the game as well. And it, it was just a dominant performance over the rookie Justin Fields, who wasn't terrible. They had some big plays in the game. He was 18 of 33, had a couple of touchdown passes, did throw two picks, and had a fumble in the game as well. Also uh, rushed for 74 yards in the game, had some wide-open opportunities to take off and uh, and scramble, did a good job of sliding and getting down, keeping himself uh, safe and protected there. Uh, but the Packers, 45-30 to 30 over the Bears. And the Bears were – look, they were fighting, and I, and I, I appreciate that because they could have just uh, – uh, they you know, they could have just realized they were up against a better team and wilted, but they were up 27-21 at the half. Uh, I was shocked to see that many points in the game. In fact, we we were before I you know before the game started, I was talking with my buddy about you know a possible parlay card for the Sunday night game, and I said I got to be honest with you. I mean, I like the under in the game, but I like the Packers minus 11 and a half better. I just thought they were going to stomp the guts out of the Chicago Bears, and I thought it would be a situation where the Packers would score the lion's share of the points in the game, you know, win the game like 31-13, something like that, which would have just really pushed that over-under. And if the Bears get a lucky touchdown when the Packers don't care at the end, I always hate the under is always a pucker factor 11, right? When you take the under, it's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> they get a cheapy touchdown here when the other team doesn't care. It pushes the uh, the over, then you lose. So I was like, ah, I like the under better than I like. Or I like the, the minus 11.5 more than I like the under, but the under's good. Uh, good. Good thing we didn't go with that one because 75 points scored in that game. I was just like, what in the world happened? Uh, fireworks display, uh, you know, showed up for the uh, for the big Sunday night game. Thankfully, it was, it was an exciting game uh, to watch as I was flipping back and forth between that and uh, and the F1 race. So the uh, the Packers get the dub. In another big game that went to overtime, the Buccaneers get the win over the Bills. It was all Bucks early. Tom Brady was dealing. Leonard Fournette was gashing the Bills' defense, who has been gashed by running backs time and time again this season. And then in the second half, the Bills made an incredible adjustment defensively, were able to keep Tom Brady from torching them. In fact, the, the Buccaneers were only able to uh, to put a, a field goal up on the board in the second half. But uh, nonetheless, the game goes to overtime. The Bills get the ball first, go three and out, don't even move the ball. And in fact, they I don't know what the Bills were thinking. And 
I know that Sean McDermott was asked after the game about you know moving off of any um, of any assistance that he has, and he deflected that, and he was not going to answer that and stuff. But Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills, look, the game plan was not good. They didn't even hand the ball off to a running back in the first half, and I mean that. Running backs had zero carries in the first half of that football game. Josh Allen had four carries himself in the first half. That was only four times they ran a football. Now, I get that the Buccaneers came into that game with the number one rushing defense in the league, but it doesn't mean that you just completely abandon running the football. My God, I, I, I've, never, I've never seen that before ever. Ever in my life have I seen a team not hand the ball off to a running back at all in an entire half of football. I, I, you have to question the game plan by Brian uh, by Brian Dable, the uh, the offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. I, look, their offense has been sputtering off and on, and it's just it continues to to be bad. Thankfully for the Bills, their defense showed up in the second half. Were able to give the ball back to the offense. Josh Allen played uh, extremely well in the second half. Things some, turned around. They scored twenty four points in the second half, but gave up the big play in overtime. And the Buccaneers win that game 33-27. This is a look at Tom Brady in 2021. 44 years old, Tom Brady. All right? <laughs> this, these are his NFL rankings as it stands today, uh, nearing the end of week 14 of the 2021 NFL season. He is first in the NFL in pass attempts. He's leading the NFL in completions. He's leading the NFL in passing yards. He's first in the league in passing touchdowns. He has the best quarterback rating in the NFL this year. He leads the NFL in wins because of quarterbacks not being on the field, you know, not getting starts for teams. Uh, you know, Kyler Murray, you know, Colt McCoy won a couple games for the Cardinals. He's number one in sack percentage, meaning that he gets sacked fewer than any other quarterback in the league. He's number one in his pro football focus ranking. And he's also number one in the odds to win the MVP this year in the 2021 season. What Will we ever see anything like this again? I mean, really. We, I mean, we have, to ask, we have to start asking ourselves this question. Will we ever see anything like Tom Brady? His life story, just from the time that he was in Michigan to, the, to, the, to, 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 to right to today, right now, is unheralded. There's nothing like it. 44 years old, I just rattled off everything in the NFL that he's number one in. Tell me the last time, and I look, I'm sure we could probably find this out. Elias Sports Bureau probably already has the numbers on this. The last time an NFL player, an NFL quarterback, this late in the season, was number one in attempts, completions, passing yards, touchdowns, QBR wins, sack percentage, and pro football focus rank, not that that matters to the Elias Sports Bureau. He's number one in, like, every category. 44 years old. I, <laughs> it's, I, I, it, it baffles the mind. And there are people out there that still hate on this dude. Like, I get it. You have some kind of deficiency in your own life that makes you just hate on other people's greatness. I'm sorry. That sucks for you. I, I, I just how you have to absolutely just be marveled at what you're seeing. How can you not? 
it, maybe it maybe it's the young people that don't understand what it feels like to be 44 or 45 years old. I can tell you right now, it's not it's it's no picnic. I wasn't the best athlete in the world. I was pretty good. I was blessed with some really good genes. I worked hard, and I was a I was a pretty good athlete for someone my size and uh you know some of the uh some of the things that I was uh, dealt in life as far as uh uh you know pre-existing health conditions and things like that. I think I did pretty well with my time. 45 years old, it's it's hard to get out of bed. <laughs> Tom Brady is leading the NFL in every statistical category for quarterbacks right now. It's absolutely un- it's it's unbelievable. And you watch him play and you know yesterday he was 31 of 46 had 15 incompletions. And I'm watching the game and I'm like, okay, he got rid of that ball to avoid a sack. He got rid of that ball because it's it's it wasn't necessary to try to squeeze that ball in there on a second and 4. You know, they're going to they're going to have third down, they'll drop a better play for the next one and they did and then we get a first down. He would throw the ball away, um, you know, because they were just trying to milk the clock at certain points in the game. And there was a couple of times where receivers dropped balls. In fact, Gronk had a drop yesterday, which never happens. He dropped. I mean, it was a contested drop. I don't know if you would officially call that a drop. I call it a drop. He got his hand on the ball. Gronk should be able to catch the ball when, he, when he's got a hand on it, right? <laughs> so he had 15 incompletions. Oh, it's incompletions. But, and he threw nine of those away on purpose for good reasons. I, I just I, I continue to just be marveled at what Tom Brady does, and at the age of forty four, it's just insane. Speaking of marvelous, Justin Herbert, my God, you know, I mean, he's had some ups and downs this year, but you look at that touchdown throw that he threw to Guyton yesterday, that sixty yard bomb. I, people, players don't do that. Like, you don't. You don't just get a guy stand back there and say, like, ah, I'm going to take this deep shot and just 64 yards in the air, drop one in the basket on the goal line to a guy who was double covered, just happened to beat his, his, uh, you know, beat the corner by, by a step. That's all he had on him was, a, it was, he was, a, there was a yard of separation, maybe. <laughs> just a remarkable throw by Justin Herbert. He continues to impress. Uh, I just, so, so impressed with him. Remarkable player. And, look, the Chiefs, they destroy the Raiders. They're back in action again. I mean, they're, they're looking good. They've got a big matchup coming up this week. We'll talk about that, of course. Cowboys have taken full control of the NFC East. They looked pretty good yesterday against a, a Washington team that was game, but couldn't overcome their first quarter, uh, you know, fumbling and, well, interceptions, to be honest. So, look, some good action in the NFL. There was some separation by uh, a lot of the teams in the NFL yesterday, and uh, there are several teams sitting there today thinking what might have been. A little little change here, a little change there, that are now sitting on the outside of the playoffs looking in, and the road don't look too, too, too rosy for them. So uh, we'll have, uh, I'll have my, my, uh, uh, my power rankings for you guys tomorrow, the top 16 teams in the NFL, and again, Huge game tonight. Cardinals and Rams. We'll talk about that next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. 
More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Monday Night Football tonight with Spears and Ali at the famous Sam's River in La Choya. Get on down there. Spears and Ali going to be broadcasting live from 3 to 6. Justin, uh, fresh off his trip to Disney World. Wow. If you follow Justin on the socials, you see just how happy that young man was walking around the uh, the campus of Florida's Fun Park as he was down there for a, uh, for a wedding for our boy Saul. And... Uh, yeah, Justin, uh, fresh back from uh, from from uh, Florida. And, uh, they'll be on the air today from 3 to 6 live from the famous Sam's River in La Choya, leading up to that huge, huge Monday night football game tonight, Cardinals and Rams, that game in Glendale, where the Cardinals have been very average this season. They've had to struggle to win uh, at home. In fact, both of their losses came at home, playing much better on the road this year. We'll try to uh, figure out, you know, the magic of that uh, as the season goes on. Can't really figure it out ourselves. And Cliff Kingsbury himself doesn't even know why. As we talk to our uh, Cardinals insider every Wednesday at 730, we'll be talking with Tyler Drake again, maybe talking about another big win for the Cardinals over the Rams. Now, a key to tonight's game, and it was the, in my opinion, it was the difference in their first meeting when the Cardinals spanked the the Los Angeles Rams in their first game. That game was in Los Angeles. Now, it wasn't so much, and and yes, you you can talk about just how dominant Arizona was in the trenches in that game, specifically on defense. They had had the the blitz-heavy front where they were bringing tons of pressure against Matthew Stafford, were playing in the backfield a lot, causing some rushed throws. But the biggest difference in that game, in my opinion, was Arizona's secondary and their coverage of Cooper Cup. Look, Cooper Cup leads the NFL in receptions, yards, and touchdowns Okay, in, for, the, for wide receivers. He has 100 catches, 1,366 yards, and 11 TDs on the season. However, his really the only game where he was held in check was that Arizona game. They had 13 targets on Cooper Cup in that game. He had five catches for 64 yards. And Byron Murphy who was largely responsible for covering Cooper Cup in that game, had, uh, had, uh, had coverage uh, responsibility on Cooper Cup in that game, also had the interception in that game. That is the big difference because that is Matthew Stafford's number one guy. That's his go-to dude. And, look, Cooper Cup is a remarkable player uh, in the NFL. I, I, I feel like that's the guy that Stafford has the most trust in. And in big games, that's the guy he goes to. If Arizona can repeat their magic that they had against Cooper Cup from game one in this game, they'll have incredible success in winning that football game, most likely winning that football game, unless they unless they let you know Odell Beckham or something go off. Um, I don't think the Rams are going to be able to, to run the football, so look for look for Stafford to throw the ball probably you know forty five to fifty times in this game. Now, offensively, Kyler Murray looked phenomenal last weekend. So did DeAndre Hopkins. They got working early, got hooking up early together, and I expect more of that uh, this weekend as uh, tonight as well. Also, James Conner is really starting to to feel the confidence. He's you know he's going to be the feature back now with the uh, the injury to Chase Edmonds. Connor's going to be the feature back. He's, we all know if you're a fantasy football player, you know how many touchdowns he's scored this year and how good he's been in fantasy. 
uh, and he continues to gain confidence, as does the offensive line. You know, that Cardinal offensive line has stayed really, really healthy this year, and the chemistry has paid dividends for them uh, throughout the season. I'm going to pick the Rams to win the game only because the NFL needs more chaos, and I think it's just in the stars for it to happen. And I think that uh, the Rams will win this game. Maybe some fluke play happens to cause it to happen, but hashtag NFL 2021. I'll take the Rams in a close one tonight. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show, a power pack show today. Thanks to Mary back in the studio for keeping us on uh, on schedule here. Don't forget to tune in today, 3 to 6, for Spears and Ali, and I will see you guys again tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. right here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show.